0: All right, Welcome back to On the Bench for the final episode of the What Went Wrong with Willie series. I keep wanting to say the What the Hell series that we did with Jimbo Fisher, but that's that's in the past. We're kind of living in the past now, but I think this is informative, and uh, so far the response has been good with these. I'm Brendan Sinone. I got Josh Newberg. I got Chris Knee with me. Fellas, thanks for uh, for bearing with me for one more of these episodes. How are you guys feeling? Good? Properly hydrated. foreshadowing. I like it. I like it. So we left the last episode. It was a recap on the debacle of a 2019 offseason and kind of the foreshadowing was the Super Bowl of Boise State. Before we get into the season opener, I do want to go over two aspects that kind of kind of lead into everything. And and one is uh, the strength conditioning program left a lot to be desired. Chris, I want to get your thoughts on this. You mentioned in the last podcast. But let's talk about it because the, the hydration and uh, the overall conditioning and, and all those things end up becoming a, a pretty integral part of Florida State's early season narrative.
1: Yeah, I think IMG, that trip is really where I noticed that, man, some guys on this team are really just out of shape. They are not prepared physically. And I'm talking upperclassmen, veterans, were not prepared physically for what was coming. And it was kind of mind-blowing. Like, I knew when they hired strength and conditioning staff that there were concerns with qualifications and obviously what happened at Oregon with them. But it felt like, you know, we're now 18 months into their time at FSU, basically. It felt like you could see that the results weren't exactly what you were looking for. You didn't see enough physical transformations that inspired a thought of, oh, my God, they're going the right way. This guy's turning into a monster. Now, there were guys who were getting it done in the weight room. It's not – I'm not broad-brushing and saying everybody did a poor job in the weight room. I'm saying overall as a team, I felt like there were too many guys that left something to be desired. There's always going to be a few guys that jump off the ship and just don't do what they're being asked to do. But there were too many of those types that I saw at IMG, and it was it was concerning. It, it was foreshadowing for what we would learn in early September that we'll get to.
0: And then the other dynamic that I think goes throughout this season – uh, but also kind of emerged in the offseason, And that's the dynamic with David Kelly. He was brought in as a wide receivers coach was kind of Willie Taggart's right-hand man, uh, had a good reputation uh, from his time at UCF as what he did as a recruiter there. Uh, but what ends up happening, it's, it's really bizarre. I don't think we've seen a college football program deal with this before or, or, or since. And that's that FSU basically wanted to move David Kelly into an off field role. Uh, but because he had helped recruit some other uh, players who were on the team at this time, including Trayshawn Harrison, who's no longer with the team, FSU uh, had to put in a waiver. They don't get the waiver. And David Kelly is essentially assigned to being the recruiting coordinator, but not in an off-field role. like He is a member of FSU's coaching staff. He is one of 10 guys on Willie Taggart's staff, but he's not coaching a, a position. So FSU basically puts one hand behind its back. Uh, it was something that we thought was really weird at the time. There was some intrigue on how they can make that position work. Uh, I know Barton Simmons was kind of intrigued by it, excuse me, about the the ability to maybe uh, have a guy do this recruiting, uh, be more in-depth as a recruiter and use the position coach in that way. Uh, Josh, it didn't really work out that way, did it?
2: No, um, it didn't work out that way. And there was people within the organization that were, do you guys remember it being sold on this being a revolutionary move by the FSU staff? Um,
0: yes, I do remember that.
2: That we were being told that it was it. You know, it was just like somebody telling you to take a look at this yellow sheet of paper and telling you that it's red, and you saying like, "No, nah, I'm pretty sure it's yellow." There was there was times like that, and this was throughout the two years that Willie Taggart was there, and this was one of them. Um, I think it all started really a lack of attention to details when Florida State was exiting their five and seven season and going up against UF. They knew uh, there was a good chance they weren't going to play in a bowl game. So I thought that, and it was obvious that there was going to be coaching change. So why not apply for that David Kelly waiver as soon as the season's over? So that way you know, okay. David Kelly, we can or we cannot move him off the field. We ha- we we need to know early before we make the move. They made the Ron Dugans hire before they even knew whether or not they were going to be able to move David Kelly off the field. And of course, by the time they do file the waiver, they find out that they can't. And now you got two wide receiver coaches.
1: People will ask, how do you resolve that? How do you fix it? The answer is simple: you fire David Kelly. And like I'm not I'm not of the opinion of David Kelly needed to be fired. There were guys on that staff who had less valued than david kelly but you don't carry a coach who is not coaching when you need every coach you can have on a football team that needs to get better the fact that they self-handicap
2: themselves is nuts mm-hmm. and the way that i think that you could have made that a revolutionary move is if you use david kelly as a, as a purely as a recruiter meaning okay I know he can only go sit in, in Isaiah Walker's house once, right? He only has that one contact with him during the eval period. And then, well, I take that back. He can only go and see his game one time during the evaluation period during the fall. Then once the season is over, he can go and do in-home visits once per week. Um, but why not have David Kelly on the road every single Friday scouting um, and maybe even miss some games because he's on Saturday, he's out in a junior college in Kansas watching offensive linemen. I think if you had David Kelly going to an offensive to a junior college game every Saturday during the season, it would have been a lot more effective had you not had two wide receiver coaches on the field.
1: Yeah. Instead you had them at practices moping around, truly looking kind of sad watching
2: it. And DK yeah, really DK's a guy with great fingerprints on him. DK's a guy with great energy. Uh, he's always upbeat. He's always positive. And for you guys to make those observations day after day of Seaman on the field, it just seemed like if you want to put him in a recruiting role, put him in a recruiting role. But he really didn't have any role.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's a chief of staff now. That's what I think he wanted to be ultimately here. But it didn't work. And the way it worked here with him claiming a coaching spot was
2: detrimental to what they mm-hmm. needed to accomplish last season. Yeah. It wasn't revolutionary. It was the exact opposite.
0: Not revolutionary. All right, we. Get, sorry, I thought it was funny. We get to Boise State, the season opener, but getting to it is a bit of a debacle. Not to Florida State's fault. Uh, the weather did not help out, and there's a hurricane off the coast. And you know, this is a year removed from obviously a huge one that that hits the Panhandle and devastating one. So people are like on edge with this, and and it's clearly something that. Uh, impacts the game that was in Jacksonville. Now, why did Florida State have a neutral site game in Jacksonville against Boise State to begin with? Uh, man, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. But uh, that whole the whole time leading up to it, is it the game going to be canceled? Is it going to be moved? What's going to happen? Well, it ends up getting moved to Doke Campbell Stadium. It gets moved up in time to noon. And that feeling inside the locker room, like we're told, is like people are like, oh, this is great. It's going to be you know, high noon, it's gonna be hot out. It's gonna be uh, our our home field. Uh, this is what we want. It's good we're gonna have the advantage. Uh, Christopher, not not so fast, correct?
1: No. Instead FC comes out offensively they look great, especially in the first half. Defensively they look quite awful the entire game. And second half the offense didn't have enough to muster to overcome it. They lose 3631 to the Boise State Broncos. Boise State's nothing to you know cough at but FSC's cramping they're down on the field and then the whole hydrate gate thing comes about afterwards. And let me tell you, in my time covering this team, hydrate gate may rank as the most annoying damn thing I've ever covered in my life.
0: So they lose to Boise state. uh, And we had previewed this in the, in the previous podcast that this was being built up as a super bowl for Florida state. They were putting in so much emotionally into this game when they lost it. uh, I think Chris and I, even, you know, I remember Josh and I in the pre in the season preview podcast, we had put like a two game swing based on the outcome of Boise state we where like this could be seven or eight win season. It could be a five or six win season based on just this one game uh, because of, of how it could impact FSU. And that totally comes to fruition. Like the team had a layover and, and really just was checked out for a while afterwards. We'll get into that. But yeah, at, during that game, FSU is cramping, like Chris said, guys. I think Boise State runs runs what like ninety something plays on offense, and, and it's not the Boise State players that are going down with cramps and and running out of gas. It's Florida State, which starts off fast, and and they just didn't have the they didn't have the juice to finish that game. Uh, and so then that next week, I think it's that Monday Willie Taggart's on his own radio show. It's no longer a call-in show. They got rid of that after after Jimbo Fisher and and that whole. Uh, that whole deal. Where's the loyalty, Jimbo? Um, uh, Willie Taggart. I see,
1: that guy, I see that guy in public and sometimes I just want to walk up and
0: hug him. Do, do you hug him? I'm surprised you don't. It'd be a, a, a big no, guy I'm hug. I'm
1: practicing good social distancing.
0: boy. And Willie Taggart is, I think he was asked by, by Gene Deckerhoff, just about, you know, guys being you know more in shape and ready for the next one, the next game coming up and Willie's response, uh, I should have the quote pulled up in front of me here, but it's essentially saying that, you know, we weren't really ready for the this past game. We'll be ready for the next one. Our guys weren't necessarily hydrated. We're making sure that they're hydrated throughout this week. Uh, and that turns into something. I think it was the Tallahassee Democrat that may have picked it up first. I could be mistaken on that, but the Tallahassee Democrat—
1: it was Kurt. Kurt was watching a show and he actually transcribed a tw- quote and tweeted. Okay. Kurt. Liler. Okay. That's right. And I don't know. I was at my kid's baseball practice, actually not listening to the show. Sometimes I'll listen to the show while I'm at his practice. And I see that quote. I remember just thinking in my head, Oh my God, this is going to be something. And I, I don't think we actually wrote off it that evening. I think we let sleeping dogs lay and didn't touch it, but it, by the okay. next morning it had caught fire. It was unbelievable how much that thing just took off immediately.
0: This is the quote, uh, Oh, hang on. All right, here we go. They need to start hydrating early in the week and take care of their bodies. We can't leave it up to our players just to do it. We've got to force them to hydrate and take care of themselves. I don't know if we did a good job of that last weekend. One of those situations where you live and learn, and we'll make sure that we help our guys when it comes to that. So that's the quote. Uh, Apparently, the FSU uh, training staff, the, the athletic trainers, we're not happy with that. And you can imagine why, right? Like, this is, it's obvious that it doesn't paint them in a good picture. And, and FSU's training staff is considered awesome, like by anyone you talk to. Uh, they are very thorough and knowledgeable and super well respected. And, and so, this is just super out of character for, for this kind of uh, indirect or direct or however you want to say it, accusation that FSU wasn't prepared with something really, really important in Florida, which is to be hydrated. Like we know uh, what happens in the, in the heat of the summer or early August or even early September in Florida when you're not hydrated. So it's a pretty startling accusation uh, to think that you want, weren't like putting your players in position to be safe. And then two just weren't prepared for a game that you were saying was your freaking Super Bowl. <laughs> like th- that's the dynamic here that, that I think Chris and I were kind of like our eyebrows were raised. Uh, and then, so then Tuesday happens and I think ESPN picks it up, right? Like that's what happens is it starts becoming national, um, happens Monday night, goes into Tuesday, goes all through Tuesday. And then we're out there for Wednesday's practice and we're supposed to get Harlan Barnett that day. Harlan goes right by us. Uh, so, okay, that's weird and Then Willie Taggart comes up with uh, Next to Derek uh, the, the Sports Info, Derek Satterfield of Sports Info So it's clear that we're talking to Willie He comes out with a bottle of water Paint us a picture please, Chris
1: We all, you know Local TV, War chant, Ourselves, Democrat Sentinel, the select media that's out there We're all setting up to either Record it or videotape it And uh, he takes a massive swig of water while holding the bottle sideways, as though he's a NASCAR racer getting paid by Dasani to hold the water up for an advertising moment. And I don't know if he meant to or did not mean to. It's one of those great questions I would ask him in 10 years when maybe we talk again. But it definitely had the feel of like, I'm mocking this situation. And then he goes into it and essentially issues – an apology, a, a half apology to the training staff, if he was not, you know, incriminating them, saying that it was their fault, saying that we got to do a better job, that it's not why they lost the game, that it's been blown out of proportion, and saying that he didn't say things that he actually did say. So that whole thing goes down, and it just restokes the whole fire. What little bit had kind of calmed down during late Tuesday, all became new flames by mid Wednesday. And it carried over into that weekend ULM game. And it, it was just, it was nuts. It was, it was 101 on how not to handle PR.
0: They dragged it out a day, essentially. Like, the story was pretty yeah. much done. And then it got dragged out for another full day. Uh, and, and local media is taking shots like, oh, you guys are dragging this out. And, like, he addressed it again. And not only did he address it, he says in his comments, he said, I don't know where that came from, but that's exactly what Coach Taggart said and what I meant to think. Anything other than that, I can't help you. He said that he he didn't refer to the previous game. He wasn't talking about Boise State. He said, nowhere in there did I talk about Boise, about being an excuse of losing to Boise or anything. However, in his initial comments, he said about the previous week, it just was – and, man, it wasn't significant in the grand scheme of things. Like everything that we've talked about up to this point, this is just kind of window dressing it just paints a picture of clown show at this point. Like it, it goes from being a shit show to a clown show in my mind at this moment. Like we're no longer just talking about disorganized and and things not going right. Now it's like now Florida State's starting to look bad, and I think that's where there becomes this now administration's watching closely, right, Chris? You know how
1: you, you know how you get it all to wash away and disappear
0: when you games out that
1: next weekend doke and whoop you all ass. And you know what they did? They beat them 45-44 because of a Mystic. So that doesn't help the cause. So things just start piling up. We're two weeks in, and everybody's losing their mind. Two weeks into a season, year two of the guy running a program, and everybody's losing their mind. And the, the game was horrible. ULM is maybe the worst football game I've ever covered in my time covering FSU. And I covered that Wake shutout game, which was an abysmal piece of crap game. But that ULM game, if they don't miss that kick, I'm not convinced ULM doesn't win that game. Cam Akers is the only reason FSU did win that game, that and a missed kick. And for the love of God, ULM should have went for two. We all said it in the moment. I'm just going to own it. I watched that game again last night, FSU last night being uh, – what days?
0: And I'm losing track of days because of the pandemic. <laughs> because but, we're all trapped. It was today. Today's Thursday. When we're right, so we're, but one, we're posting this on a game, Friday or Saturday, so never mind. Yeah, the game
1: was on Wednesday evening on ACC Network, so I gave it a watch. ULM should sort have of went for two. If ULM wins that game, I am not convinced Willie Tigger is FSU's head coach at following Sunday. or Monday.
2: two weeks in the year, too.
0: That's mind blowing. Josh, I just noticed you're wearing a Rollcast shirt.
2: Yeah, I wear a WorldCast shirt all, all the time.
0: Looks comfortable.
2: That's yeah, great. I love it.
0: I think ULM should have <laughs> gone. Just, should have just kicked the extra point because Florida State wasn't stopping them at that point. Like, uh, the math was in their favor to let that game keep going and going. Like They blew it. Uh, uh, but whatever. Like, uh, the, the funny thing was, uh, whatever, that... That game, in my mind, it kept sticking out as a loss. Like when I would write about the season record, like I'd almost always give them an, a loss because that's in my mind is how it felt. Chris, weren't guys like when after the game, Willie with Taggart was talking about it as a turning point? He talked about it publicly. He said it in the locker room. Weren't players laughing at that comment? Yeah,
1: guys found it to be just short sighted that it wasn't the case, that they had just played pathetically bad and probably should have lost to a lowly team that most people can't name the mascot of. and... Yeah, the program wasn't in a good place, and that game's also a pivotal moment in the grand scheme of the Willie Taylor, because that moment in time is when the first talks of what do we do if we have to do something kind of came about for the powers that be.
0: And we we'll circle back around to that because it. When we get to, uh, but it's important to note, Chris, I'm glad you did. uh, When we're talking about the the demise, the the end of Willie Taggart's tenure and some of the things that we report and specifically Josh reported and and caught some flack for at at the time. uh, That's an important side note to uh, to, to have and, and preview for a little bit later on in the podcast here. In the meantime, FSU has a game against Virginia after ULM. It's one and one. Uh, this is the first conference game so you still have something you can kind of kind of play for and and maybe right the ship a little bit again we're talking about momentum to me this is where you're starting to see the things like not only is it clown show time, things are spiraling internally uh i'm hearing i'm hearing stories about the coaching staff getting into like arguments with recruits, parents and like really childish petty arguments too. not like real life stuff or disagreements. It's just, just being childish. Like there's tension, uh, palpable tension. Oh, you like that Josh within, within the organization. Uh, We heard that week of practice going into Virginia was one of the most disorganized and disinterested ones of the Willie Taggart era. And I'm sure there were plenty. We heard just weird things about that entire week. Uh, and they go into the UVA game and actually, like, scrap and play hard and fight through some injuries and uh, just often sputters at the end of the game and uh, and can't get it done. But, you know, so you, you end up losing that game as well, and, uh, and then you go ahead and you— go against Louisville and you go against NC State and you win both of those and you actually have a little bit of something like okay like they're maybe kind of pushing it along a little bit like Willie's doing enough to where he can establish some things to to maybe get him some goodwill going into a bye week here and and kind of keep this thing going and alive and, and let's see what happens so we have the bye week things got a little bit better Clemson those on the other side of it
1: which go- the, the, real, the realists knew they're going to lose to Clemson They're going to probably lose by a lot to Clemson. But for whatever reason, for the second year in a row, this program thought, we're going to compete with those guys. They're competing for national titles. We're hanging around 500, but we're going to compete with those guys. And they did. They went to Death Valley, and they got shellacked 45-14. And it wasn't competitive. That game was over in the first half, easily. And truthfully, the scoreboard looked a lot nicer in the end because Clemson called off the dogs in the third quarter or so. So, you know, 45 is what they scored basically in two and a half quarters of play. But it, again, speaks to, and I didn't expect them to win at Clemson. They didn't need to win at Clemson. It's none of that. It's a matter of building upon being three and two and trying to look better as you become three and three, knowing that, oh, you got weight coming up, you got Q's coming up. You know, you can beat those two. You can you can be two games over 500 pretty soon. No, they didn't look like that. They looked like a team that looked a lot like the team that lost to Clemson a year ago
0: in their own house it wasn't much more competitive if any more competitive and when you're trying to look it's like is fsu getting better in some areas like going into that game you're like okay like yeah they beat louisville and they beat nc state and they actually beat nc state convincingly and i know those weren't great wins but they were wins and you saw some signs of progress and yeah the messaging that week like we're hearing internally is is they think they're gonna go out there and hang with clemson and then to come out and and to not, to, to not have a chance. And, and in that game, you know, James Blackman basically breaks down uh, and he has a sideline meltdown out his, ends up not being his only one of the season. Uh, so again, you're getting this, this feeling that things aren't going well internally, that Willie is not having a whole lot of control over things week to week. Uh, then we go to the Wake Forest game. <clears throat> that's up at, that's up at Winston-Salem that whole week. Mind you going up to this point too, guys, like we're getting, uh, it becomes a running joke. It's like every Friday night I'm covering who's going to be starting that quarterback. Like it's like three or four weeks in a row. Remember that Chris, uh, just and, and that Clemson was kind of the pinnacle of it where I'm out. It's my birthday. Uh, we're out having some beer and getting texts again against Clemson. Like, Hey, it's, it's going to be James this week or, Hey, it's going to be Alex this week. It's just, it's bouncing back and forth and it's, it's almost comical leading up to this wake forest game.
1: Yeah. And, uh, it was comical. It wasn't almost comical. It was comical. The lack of decisiveness by that coaching staff was their biggest fault among many, many faults.
0: And during Amen. the week, well, during the week for Wake Forest, so this is uh, starts getting us. And Josh, start start warming up. I got you in the bullpen here, so we're getting to to your part and all this coming up. Uh, but but it gets a little bit more interesting in terms of our relationship with Willie and, and the way we're covering the team. Uh, this week of going into the Wake Forest game. I'm told by someone like, hey, keep an eye on this. Uh, Willie may have more input in the offensive game plan in the game, in the actual play calling this week. Now, he w- hired Kendall Bryles to be the offensive coordinator. The initial plan was that Kendall was going to have full autonomy, that it was going to be his offense. He was going to run it the way he wanted to run it. Willie was going to do more CEO role. That's how it was pitched to the people who ponied up the money to spend a million dollars on an offensive coordinator was that he was going to coordinate the offense entirely. Uh, we had heard grumblings and rumors throughout the season that Willie would kind of in the middle of games, you know, put in, put he's a coach. Like he's a head coach. Of course he's allowed to put input into games, but it's such a rhythm based office that Kendall runs to have someone else telling you this is what you should be doing here. This is what you need to do here not ideal. But going into this Wake Forest game, I'm told the dynamics going to be completely different that Willie's going to be super involved in it. Keep an eye out for it. Well, you know, the, the first series happens and sure enough Willie Taggart has a play sheet out and he is talking in Kendall Brown's general direction. Uh there's no way of actually proving it in that moment that's what's happening, but it's it's very different looking than how it is normally uh to where he's much more involved. After the game, uh, I'm able to uh, do a little bit more research and confirm it with two sources, two different independent sources saying Willie Taggart was absolutely calling plays during that game, and then a third one. And then, Chris, on that Sunday on the drive home, and then that Monday, you were also able to get two different sources as well for that.
1: Yeah, including a person who anything they ever told me pertaining to FSU's offense under Kendall Browse was 100% on.
0: So we now at this point have like four or five sources, all independent, different places saying that Willie Taggart was heavily implying what Kendall Bryles should be calling. He was essentially controlling what the the game plan was going to be, what the plays were going to be. So we wrote about it. We wrote about it and I tweeted about it on that Sunday because someone had asked me and and I said, yeah, I believe that that he is uh, calling the offense, but we didn't want to write about it until we were able to talk to Willie Taggart about it. Right. So that's that Monday, the press conference. I asked Willie about it. Uh, he said, I always am involved in the game plan. And there was nothing different about it this week. We went ahead and wrote the story saying, Willie Taggart said this. However, we have four sources saying uh, on background that Willie Taggart was indeed more involved this week. Uh, Willie Taggart did not like that. He felt like he got duped that we were trying to bait and switch him. Uh, my, at the time, my my comment was, well, what like are we supposed to argue with Willie in the middle of the press conference? He knew that question was coming because I had tweeted about it, so he was prepared for it, and he chose to be dishonest. Uh, and not at that time, no, no, and not not the last. We're getting close to the end here at this point, uh, but to me, uh, whether he was honest or not, not the big deal. It's that again, you're not organized in the sense of like there's an offensive scheme you were hired you paid someone good money to do it he's considered very good at his job uh and people started getting like it got this like dividing line in the in the sand of like he should let kendall do it or will it's his program and it became very divisive part of of the next like week or so it was just a weird deal Uh, again just didn't make sense to me to it showed that there wasn't a plan, and then it changed back to Kendall having his offense autonomy again the next week. It just goes back and forth. FSU scored, what, 20 points that game they lost to Wake Forest?
1: Yeah, 22-20, I believe, was the final.
0: In the meantime, also on that drive home, and that was a hell of a drive home that, that we had back from from Greensboro, uh, there becomes this buzz that— Palpable. At, Palpable buzz, this vibe. No, no, is exactly. that people are texting me, my phone's blowing up saying there's something happening. I mean, it's going on a Twitter and stuff too. People saying there's something happening. There's a meeting, a, a conversation among administrators about possible buyout for Willie. I mean, to the point where Chris and I had to pull over somewhere in the middle of of a bum, you know what, um at a McDonald's, yeah, at a McDonald's to try to uh, the middle of nowhere to try to go ahead and and figure this out a little bit. We're calling Josh, asking him to make some calls. All right, Josh, um, I'm going to bring you in for this, but this becomes uh, what seems like the the beginning of the end for, for Willie.
2: Yeah, the Florida State Seminoles, uh, they're off to the 3-4 and four record, like you said, coming off that 22-20 loss at Wake Forest. We did our Monday podcast, and the quote, here's what I – I guess I reported it on the podcast first. Um, yeah, you I got
0: believe- the you got the information. We on Sunday, uh, we all talked about it. We said we we're going to do it on that Sunday evening. Chris and I are tired because we're driving, but you put on the podcast Sunday, national aggregated, and it's now your verbal word is written word, and it's a report. And it's on Monday.
2: Yeah, I said I believe an exit strategy is being discussed. Um, I'm told that this is a situation where Jimmy Sexton and the FSU administration have been in touch. They've been talking directly about money and a potential buyout slash negotiation. If it is to come to that, I think, and I said, uh, I think in the scenario where Taggart does get let go, it's if this team continues to go down the path that it's going, continues to play and make the same mistakes that it has. And on the business side, there's a deal that gets struck in the background. So what I was being told after the wake forest game was basically like the administration was getting their ducks in a row to figure out, okay, what's the number we owe? How much do you know, we have, uh, what can we gather in the background? Like what can we reach out to the biggest donors and ask for like all of this stuff, the decision hadn't been made yet. And that wasn't what I was insinuating. And I hope that was clear. Um, but, the little details in the background were we getting in place to like, if you are going to make this move, do we have the backing? Do we have the funds? What, what do we owe? Like all those little details were being worked out.
0: And what came from that, uh, and this is unfortunate the timing because I think it was football scoop puts out an article. I think that same day, same on, day. Ur- on urban Meyer being a, uh, a candidate for Florida state of Willie gets let go. Now, that was never going to happen like Urban Meyer was never going to get hired at Florida State but excuse me i i believe that there was actually a little bit more legitimacy to that than than some people would give it credit for but it was still far fetched and and there's so many things for that to that like it wasn't going to happen but it wasn't out of nowhere but what people ended up doing uh, in the media and i think in Florida State's mind and they combined all of this into one story right so we get kind of lumped in as a network, as Knowles as 24-7, for Josh's report gets lumped into the, the Urban Meyer thing and making it seem like it's this imminent decision. Uh, and long story short, Florida State was not a huge fan of of what Josh wrote and reported. Yeah,
1: and yeah. We, we took some people to task on the fact that they did some lazy-ass reporting in that regard. And we also asked some people that were quoted in that, specifically the AD, if we were lumped into that. And in the case of the AD, he said we were not, that he was speaking on the Urban Meyer report specifically. So that's worth adding just for context purposes.
0: And to clarify, Chris is talking about uh, that Florida State went to the Tallahassee Democrat and David Coburn basically did a story on quote-unquote rumor control. Part of that was about the story that Chris and I did on the play calling, uh, which we knew was already confirmed. Like it didn't have to be confirmed. We had to confirm through four people. It wasn't a rumor at that point. Um, but also the the rumor of them talking to administration, talking to Willie Taggart's people about a buyout. Uh, David Coburn denied that aspect of it. So that's what Chris is referring to.
1: And there was an attempt by an FSU representative to kind of take us to task on those two items. And in the first case, with regards to the play calling, we ended that conversation abruptly and said, we're not discussing this. Like, we know what we reported in that, situ- <clears throat> in that situation is 100 percent fact. Because myself and Brendan were present, and we were the two that reported very much largely on that. And then on the second point, Josh obviously was a big part of that, and this occurred at practice, so Josh was not present with us. But we said that we believed what we reported was true and that we didn't report it flying at the seat of our pants, that we did a lot of work, a lot of background on it, and people that informed us of of it, we trusted, and we had dealt with numerous times in the past. We're not we're not the kind of group of people that take something that somebody tells us the first time they've ever spoken to us and just run with it like it's, you know, biblical truth. We're going to dig in the things and try to make sure we're confirming facts. And the meat of the fan base had clearly moved during the wake weekend with how things transpired from being OK, give them some time with the extremes of fire on now or keep them forever but a large amount was given time to after that game, it became largely people uncertain if he needed more time. And that's where we sat walking in the Monday and Tuesday of dealing with Willie and going to practice.
0: Some point between that Tuesday, uh, then we get through the week and it's Syracuse, it's homecoming FSU wins 35 to 17, uh, not overly impressive, but they're able to control the game. They go to the wild cam And there's the Miami game coming up. Josh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. At some point in between the Wake Forest loss and then the Miami game, isn't FSU uh, support staff like Willie Taggart's people starting to kind of get panicky and certainly are believing like that, that the hot seat is, is really hot and trying to get his ducks in a row.
2: Yeah, definitely. That starts happening. And, you know, that's when you kind of know the wheels are falling off is like I said, you don't, when you're in, uh, when you're in my position, sometimes you don't have to reach out to sources. Sources just come to you, and they start telling you of all the problems that are going on. And that was definitely what was taking place. Because at the end of the day, you got guys that have jobs and they have families and they have kids to feed. And it's fun to be on this coaching staff and support the team and all that kind of stuff. But at some point, you also have to, you know, you have to you have to make sure you're okay. And I think that was what was happening. Guys were planning for their future. They saw the writing on the wall. They knew this team wasn't going to improve from one week to the next, and they saw where it was trending. And they wanted to make sure, that, you know, that you know, they were reaching out to me to find out what other coaching jobs were open, what I'm hearing, just just general coaching stuff, you know, coaching search type stuff. But there was definitely a um, a sense within the building that things were about to go sideways.
0: So we have the Miami game. It's a rivalry game. Uh, and lo and behold, Florida State loses 27-10. It's not really ever competitive. The offense can't do anything against Miami's defense, and it's just, just not a pretty game. Uh, and for something that like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, where you know, there's there's our reports or reports are being shot down and saying that, like that there's been no conversations man, let's go back all the way to after ULM uh, when we had heard that there was a contingency plan in, in, in place. Uh, Chris, uh, that that plan got enacted pretty quickly on, uh, on that Saturday evening.
1: Yeah, and David Coburn, for all intents and purposes, confirmed that those earlier conversations had happened. When he fired Willie Tager, one of the comments he made was that he and Tager had held in quotations, explicit conversations, end quotations, about the expectations at FSU and what needed to be done to improve his job security. That was throughout the season that year. That was not something that came about after Wake necessarily or after Boys or after ULM. It was throughout the season that it had occurred because they were clearly confident that if it did not improve, they were going to have to make the move they had to make. But the Miami game ends, I'm riding down the elevator from the ninth floor to the bottom floor to go to the post-game press conference, and I text somebody who I've known for a long, long time, who knows the inner workings of FSU very, very well, and I go, what do you think this means for him, or something along those lines, and by the time I got off the I sent that, the minute I left my seat up in the press box, by the minute I got off the elevator on the first floor, he basically told me he's not going to make it to Monday. He did not believe he would make it to the Monday press conference. This individual thought he'd be fired on Monday and that we would then speak to Coburn on Monday at the press conference is what they expected. I wrote my column after the game, basically, of this isn't enough. It can't continue. This program's, you know, stuck in neutral. It doesn't look any good. And truthfully, it's getting worse. And Post-game press conference felt like a funeral. It was horrible. It wasn't any good. Willie looked devastated, to be perfectly honest, about his reaction to that game. And then Sunday rolls around. We've got some recruits on campus. I think Reggie Grimes was on an official. I know Dallas Turner and uh, his buddy, which is uh, Shade Tree's son, Marvin Jones Jr. They were there together. Me and Zach were actually outside the building talking to Dallas Turner and Marvin Jones Jr. as Willie drives by. I'm thinking he's going to lunch with Reggie Grimes because that's not unusual for an official visitor. Now, he had just been fired. We find out roughly 15, 20 minutes later that he had been fired via press release. Reggie Grimes is in the middle of a visit, tweets awkward, which I thought was one of the greatest tweets ever about the whole situation because it is. It was really awkward. Reggie leaves. I kind of guard him that we can't speak to him. It's all well and good. I get it. Kid doesn't need to be put in a position of talking about adult decisions. Um, especially a decision he had nothing to do with. So he leaves. So that whole day we're dealing with the fallout. You know, Dirk Bermudez had either decommitted right before or right after Willie got fired. Other guys obviously started the waffle pretty quickly once the news came down. But wild, wild day. You just see Willie drive by. You get the release really how he's been fired. You know, you go into overdrive mode of got to get up with recruits, got to find out what this means for interim head coach, where we're going from here, when do we hear from Coburn on this decision, you know, all that obviously the next day we heard from Coburn. A few of the main talking points that day were six and six wasn't good enough. He spoke about how they had discussed the plan for a while. He said watching the Miami loss compared to watching the Virginia Tech loss at the beginning of the Willie Taggart era, and that those bookends were too comparable to continue to go on. That they were not satisfied with that. They yeah. wanted to get into the job market early and pursue people. Odell obviously was going to be the interim. Odell was going to do it. The Noel wing trying to carry the flag again, second time being an in interim in three years. So you had all that going on. Louie's out the door. You know the program's in a position where they're going to have to fight for bowl eligibility. They have a shot because of what's coming up on the schedule. And truthfully, going into that next week, it was interesting. Things were very much shut down. We didn't get a whole lot of things. But you heard about a lot of hurt feelings and then kind of rallying around Odell and rallying around the guys who were there to coach those guys and guide them to the end of the year. I think we saw that transpire over the coming weeks. But It was a wild, you know, 24 hours from the end of the Miami game to the firing to the – speaking of Coburn, that's about 36-hour stretch total. A lot went on. It wasn't truly shocking that they fired him. It was just surprising that the timing was then and there, but it was coming. It was clear leaving the press box after the Miami debacle that his time was done, that there there was no road back from what this was. You know, maybe he wins out the rest of the year, but probably doesn't matter. They they aren't good – They weren't playing good football. They were unorganized. They committed too many penalties. They were out of shape. They looked like a football team that had too many different factions coaching them. None of it looked good. It all looked like a bloody freaking mess. It had all developed over the last year and a half. We had reached that point, and this was the end. There was no penultimate event. Maybe you can say Wake Forest was that, but Miami was the end. It was clear cut that we're not moving on from this point. We can't do it anymore, and, you know, They pulled the plug and they should have pulled the plug and people will say that, Oh, 21 games isn't enough. No, we saw 21 games and we knew it was a freaking mess. We knew it was a freaking mess before they hit the 12 game point. So he got more games after we knew it was a freaking mess and he did nothing to improve it. It stayed a mess. It was a complete mess. It was the most disappointing head coaching job I'd ever seen. And I lived through the Steve Robson basketball at FSU. So like I, you can't convince me that Willie Taggart deserves more time. Truthfully, he got too much time. He probably should have been fired after ULM. If they lose that game, he probably does get fired. So why does one point make such a huge difference? Because it wasn't working. It wasn't getting any
0: better. It's well said, Chris. Uh, and not even, I mean, the on-field results are what matter. Uh, but I think if we're looking like at these all three of these podcasts and if we're breaking into different sections of the Willie Taggart tenure, like the off-season to me, In between, even when we got to these on-field results, like that's when, in my opinion, everything was finalized. Like when David Kelly is an on-field coach without coaching a position, when the spring game, recruit, recruiting aspect of the spring game is just a cluster, you know what? And coaches are running around with it like like chickens with their heads cut off, trying to to get guys to certain places for visits, and and players are walking over the the bridge to get down to dope Campbell stadium. Cause they don't know how to get to the, the football facility. Like th- those are the moments to me that I'll remember this, of this tenure that, that I think really define it. It's because the on-field results, like you hear about this all the time in football, like games are won, not necessarily like on the Saturday, but everything leading up to it and the lack of preparation, the lack of organization, the lack of then belief in players in their head coach, as this thing went on, uh, I think it, you know, Willie Taggart era was always going to end abruptly, and before uh, he got to year three, based on what he did in the off season of that that pivotal off season. All right, we good? Is that everything? Josh is just quiet. Josh is too quiet for me.
2: No, I feel good about it. I mean, you know, it's, it wasn't like a celebratory time. Um, I think it all. The red flag started early and often. Um, I, I you know, I wouldn't have had an issue with Willie Taggart in his third year. Um, but again, after that first year, my opinion never changed. The, what I saw in those first 12 months, there was nothing there. The decisions that I saw, the moves that were made, there was nothing there that led me to believe that Willie Taggart was going to be the one to turn the program around.
1: Yeah, I, I never felt like there was a clear direction for his program under him. And that that to me is the most disappointing thing. I don't think as a coach you can operate in that manner. You have to know what you're working towards and what steps you're going to take to get there. And too often it felt like they were living week to week, day to day, and that just doesn't work. And there are too many deficiencies in the process for the results to be there working in that manner.
0: Journalistically, uh, Josh and I talked about this before, I don't think on a podcast, but I do talk about like just on the phone. I think we both learned during the Jimbo Fisher era and the very end of it to like if you see something that doesn't seem right, if you are in the analysis business like we are, like where it's not just journalism, like we're analyzing things too and and telling our paid customers like what, what we see and observe and what we hear this is all part of what we do professionally. If something doesn't seem right and you're seeing trends that are alarming to say something that's what I learned at the end of the Jimbo era and I didn't feel confident initially with the Jimbo era because I kept giving him the benefit of the doubt because I'd seen him win so many games I started covering the team in 2013 and saw him win national championship my very first season covering the team uh, saw him produce NFL draft picks in a way in a rate that was never done before saw him set records and and uh, just be an elite head coach. And when that started to bottom out, even though you saw some of the warning signs, uh, I felt hesitant to, to say them. Uh, so that's something that I think I learned in the Willie Taggart era and I'll keep forward, uh, keep with me going forward undercovering undercover coach Mike Norvell is if something doesn't seem right, it's not necessarily criticism of what you say. It's, uh, you have to be critical though in your thinking of things. And if you see something that doesn't make sense, you have to at least say part of it. You can't maybe burn sources. You can't explain everything, Uh, but you have to be transparent. If something doesn't seem right to you and vice versa, if something seems like it's going well, you need to be transparent on that too and explain it. Curious what you guys learned through covering the last two years.
1: Well, I think you should always have a little patience in the process. It's not something that's easily done or done overnight, but there's a point in time where you realize that it's just not going to get done. Like it is what it is. The process isn't working and the process isn't good enough to work. And, you know, it's not to say he won't find success at FAU or somewhere down the road. He may, but it, it wasn't going to happen at FSU. It went too poorly, too quickly, too often, too soon to ever recover. And I think that was abundantly clear when I left Notre Dame in year one and I think I definitely knew that after Boise and ULM and Wake Forest drove the spike through the coffin, as they like to say, or I like to say. And it was over. And the other thing is I learned to have a backbone. You know, don't don't be scared of the individual there standing in front of you on the podium. If you know something to be true and you believe in your sources and you've done your job at the utmost highest manner, Stand your ground and say you're standing your ground and let it be known. And don't back down because they're going to try to use a position of power or threaten your credential or anything of that sort. That's not how I operate. I'm going to do this job at the highest manner I can do it. And drain emotion from that. Just do it. Do your damn job. And you know what? I Go back to the line thing. I will give someone the benefit of the doubt if they shoot me straight. If you're straight with me, I will give you the benefit of the doubt and play ball. And here and there, it will happen but you lie to me. Oh no, 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 you you, you better be real successful because you know, when the rats
2: start talking, I'm going to listen. Yeah. Similar to both of what you guys said, I'll just simplify it. You know, just speak your truth. There was moments in time where I had a balance um, speaking what I thought to be true with how it was going to affect the, the thoughts and feelings of the coaching staff of the fan base and all that kind of stuff. And it really, uh, tore at me for a while, but I just decided like, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and speak what I believe is true. And in the end, um, everything came around full circle. People saw what I was talking about and, and all that was good. So I think, um, you know, just trusting yourself, trusting your sources, all the things that you guys had said.
0: I, I do think we all came out of it as better journalists and our website stronger because we, you know, we did all individually and uh, holistically as a, as a website caught a lot of a lot of heat at times in how we covered the program because a lot of people thought we were too harsh or unfair. Uh, And when you don't know the full story, I can understand that. But, uh, you know, I think we were just being as honest and as transparent as possible. And, and like Josh said, you kind of just stick to yourself and be honest and trust your sources, trust your instincts is what you, what you see uh, and what your experience covering, you know, being in this business for a while teaches you is to, to go ahead and, and trust yourself. So uh, it turns out, and I wish it was went better. Cause like we said in the beginning of this, like things were so bright and optimistic for Willie Taggart. Like I wish it had worked out better. Uh, you saw the access that we had with him. Uh, you saw the, the vibrancy of the football program and the fan base and the recruits he was getting on campus. Like there's this alternate timeline where if things work out like early on in his career, the momentum based uh, aspect that Chris has mentioned a few times. Like, I think things work out for Willie in a way that's really successful and, and could have been a lot of fun to cover, but it it just, there were too many missteps too early on. And he just, he dug himself a hole that he couldn't get out of. And, and ultimately like the thing he did best, which is recruit and, and have something, have something to sell to recruits. uh, It just didn't exist. And he, he couldn't fix the lack of organization and lack of just good coaching Uh, that was going on throughout the program so guys i hope we don't have to do another one of these in a few years i really hope that the the new staff is successful that'd be good for all of us uh, in terms of having fun stuff to cover you know coach norvell has been very transparent and made his program transparent to us so far i I think we all like what he's doing early on so i really hope we don't have to do another one of these for a very 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 long time Um, but i do want to thank both of you for for your time. I know it's been a few hours of your days here. Not that we have a whole lot to do, but but for being thoughtful and for being engaged and, and opening up and sharing your experience covering the Willie Taggart tenure. This is hopefully for our readership been been or listenership I should say productive. So do you have anything else to uh, to add before I sign off? Nope. All right. For Chris Nee, for Josh Newberg, I'm Brendan Sinone. I'm losing my voice from doing a couple of these consecutively, but uh, but I think this has uh, been worthwhile. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. Hopefully this was uh, something that you listening has kind of helped you pass time a little bit too uh, during, a, during a kind of a weird time in, in our lives. So hopefully this was at least entertaining and informative for you guys. So uh, for the fellas, I'm Brendan Sinone. This is On the Bench, and uh, we'll be back next week.